Welcome back to another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Alex Duvall. How's it going, man? Joel, it's great to be back. I'm doing well, man. Good. All right. I know it's been a couple weeks. I did an interview with Nick Folaris last week. If you didn't know, uh, I dorked that one up. I was trying to frantically get something done. Uh, before the wedding and managed to not write an article and get actually get it up on the site. So if you missed that, uh, go ahead and check that one out. It's still uh, where you can find all your podcasts for Royals Review. It's in that list and you'll find it somewhere at some point. That was uh, that, that was my fault considering I was trying to frantically get stuff done uh, before the craziness of a wedding and all that good jazz. So No, oh, man, you got an interview with Nick Solaris done before a wedding. That's uh, That's impressive stuff. Uh, I do what I can with the opportunities I'm given and uh, trying to get all the content up to the site that I possibly can. You do a great job. Oh, we appreciate you. Even though getting some work in on the week of your wedding, that's that's dedication right there. <laughs> For sure. Uh, we got a lot to talk about in this episode. We're going to try and hit, Alex and I are going to try and hit a variety of topics, but we'll start in honor of it being, you know, we're getting close to the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. We've had Texas League, Sally, Carolina League All-Star Games, plenty of guys in the Royals organization. Uh, that have uh, gotten honors uh, to go and play in the, those uh, respective all-star games. I got to, I got to be at the Texas league all-star game for 2080, got to see Khalil Lee, Gabe Cancel, uh, Ofredi Gomez, Garrison Garbino, Connor Green. Those are the five representatives there. Uh, so it was cool to see them play. First time I actually got to see Khalil Lee play. So that was pretty fun. Uh, the Carolina league had a bunch of guys, obviously, you know, especially the pitchers, but MJ Melendez as well. Uh, Carolina League, John Heasley, John Bolin, they really led the charge there. So it's cool to see that many guys represented uh, when it maybe hasn't been the best year on the farm to still see uh, them get recognized by their leagues. For sure. And I think the Royals, you know, more than most organizations really, uh, I don't know about prioritize, but really value that. And they really make a big deal about that. And, uh, you know, you saw the video when the Wilmington Blue Rocks uh, clinched the first half division title for the Carolina league. There were, you know, they were celebrating in the clubhouse, really getting after it. So, um, that could Lexington be viewed, as well. First half champs. Yeah, there. exactly. And, and that could be viewed as a, as a small thing, but the Royals really like to emphasize that, that, you know, even though some of the top prospects are struggling, it's all about winning. It's about the accolades. It's about the process. And, and once you get those guys comfortable and used to winning and they're used to going to all-star games, then when they get to the big leagues, you know, there's always shock and awe from being in Major League Baseball, but they're used to that. They're used to that success. They're used to winning. They're used to the All-Star Games, the accolades, et cetera. So I think it's cool that the Royals put such a such a priority, such an emphasis on those minor league All-Star Games and stuff. Yeah, I, I think it almost can be kind of undervalued sometimes in the minor leagues where, you know, the goal is just get to the Major Leagues, get to the Major Leagues as quick as you can. But there's, I feel like there is some value to the way the Royals go about the process of win together at as many levels as you can. That way you know how to win when you get to the major leagues. And while I do have a gripe sometimes with the Royals on how slow they develop guys, and not necessarily develop, but move guys up, and how slow they are sometimes in that way, keeping guys together to move, especially, you know, that Melendez, Matias Prado, and that all that group in Wilmington, learning how to win together. They did it down in the Sally. Now they're doing it in the Carolina League. Probably going to keep moving up, especially if they move those pitchers into the Texas League. It's just going to keep snowballing, and especially – you know, those guys moved up. And now, I mean, the Lexington Legends haven't missed a beat. First half champs there as well are going to have an opportunity to defend their Sally League title. So there, there's a lot. I think there is value to having all these opportunities to show how good they are 
in the postseason and all-star games, winning together, I think is extremely important. I don't think it can be understated how important it is, especially for a small market team when they get to the, these guys all get to the major leagues, they know how to win and win together. And I think that's something that's extremely important. For sure. And the Royals have made that clear that they believe that as well. So, so it's good to see. It's it's good to see them um, celebrating those guys like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it worked with the the previous core. You know, they won together in the minor leagues, won a World Series. So they're, it's shown that it can work. Now, is it going to be able to work this time around? That remains to be seen. But at least they, we know that it has worked in the past to help a team win a World Series. Now, it's kind of small potatoes to win a South Atlantic League title to a World Series, but they learn how to win a championship, and they know what it feels like to win a championship at some level. I think that that is extremely important. Yeah, and to know, and going into the games, knowing that the organization prioritizes winning, you know, over your personal ability or your personal performance, I guess, to an extent, you know, it takes pressure off of the guys like Melendez and Prado, Matias, who are struggling so mightily at Wilmington because the org is like, hey, whatever, man, you won. Like, just keep pressing forward. And even though the org- the organization, they know they got to get these guys on the right track, right? They know we got to get these guys hitting. So to them, internally, it's probably more of an urgent um, problem. But when they deliver that message to the players, um, I, in my opinion, it takes pressure off of them and allows them to just go out there and, and keep trying, keep moving forward, um, even if the results haven't been there uh, personally. Yeah, absolutely. And not only are we getting, you know, guys that are getting recognized for all-star games like Brady Singer and Chris Bubich, but they're also, they get to represent the Royals in the future stars game. Now, Brady Singer was uh, already going to uh, represent the team. Chris Bubich was a late ad because Brendan McKay got called up to the major leagues. Therefore he was ineligible for that. But I find it interesting. Now, Chris Bubich has had a breakout season and I think he's already, performed better than we ever really thought he was going to be. Uh, I know we were pretty high on him having in our, I think we had him in our top 20 in our preseason rankings, but I don't think any of us thought he was going to be as good as he has been this season between Lexington and Wilmington. But I find it interesting that he got the nod to go to the future stars game over a guy like Jackson Kowar. And even to a certain extent, Daniel Lynch, I understand that he was hurt, but that's a guy that would probably come to mind before maybe a guy like Chris Bubich. Yeah, I think if Daniel Lynch doesn't get hurt, he probably gets the nod there. But just in terms of Kowar versus Bubich, it is interesting. And I think part of what is so hard about minor league baseball is we get so excited about guys like Chris Bubich. And Chris Bubich is a good prospect. Don't let what I'm getting ready to say act like I'm not as high on him or anything like that. Chris Bubich is a great prospect. Chris Bubich is a very advanced left-handed pitcher with a great changeup. That we've seen Marcelo Martinez have similar success at those lower levels, right? Like, yes, Chris Bubich has done very well. And yes, Chris Bubich is going to be a good prospect moving forward as well. But at the lower levels, lefties with changeups like he has, they dominate. And so it makes you wonder what else there is with Chris Bubich that gave him the nod over a guy like Jackson Coar because. In reality, in, in my opinion, they're basically, you know, been very similar in terms of like, who do I think has had the better year? Yes, Chris Bubich, the stats are there a little bit, but I honestly wouldn't hesitate to say that Coar has been just as good. Um, Coar, first, first couple of starts at AA, looked really good. 
I know his last start, he got pulled a little early. His command was a little iffy, but um, good for Chris Bubich. And it is interesting. I just hope that Royals fans, when they see Brady Singer in the All-Star Futures game, they see Chris Bubich. Like, I don't think either of those two are necessarily the top prospects in the system. And, and that, by the way, is a, is a good reflection of the Royal system. When you have... When you have two guys make the MLB All-Star Futures game and they're not your top three, not in your top four prospects, in my opinion, I know a lot of people, Brady Singer, number one, I think Brady Singer's like maybe their fourth best pitching prospect. So, um, but that is a sign of good things because the, you know, two guys who I don't even view as top four or five prospects made the Futures game and the Royals probably have better prospects in the system so that's a really good sign it's a sign of improvement on the royal system and it's a really cool honor for brady singer chris bubich they get to go they get to participate in that in that really bit on that big stage in front of lots of people um really cool opportunity um and i think it speaks highly of what outsiders how they view the royal system when chris bubich and, and not again not again not a knock on bubich but when he's the guy that is called on to replace Brendan McKay. I think that speaks really highly of how outsiders view the Royal system. It's amazing at what can change in a year. This time last year, the Royals pitching depth was almost non-existent to now where Chris Bubich is probably, you know, like you said, and Brady Singer are probably your, your, the fourth or fifth guy you would think of in the system with Daniel Lynch and Jackson Kohler having great years as well. Jonathan Heasley has moved himself into that mix as well as one of the top guys. And to have both of Singer and Bubich get that honor, I think it says a lot about the what, you know, where from where the Royals were a year ago to where they are now. I think they've moved mountains, especially when it comes to pitching depth. The hitting hasn't necessarily come yet this year, but I think we still see the potential in the guys that despite their struggles, we still see that they are good players and good prospects. Obviously, you're not going to get much of a futures game nod, especially even with how great MJ Melendez is defensively hitting a buck seventy. It's just not going to happen. But I think we still see how much improvement, and I think it shows how much improvement the Royals organization has made in a year. And I think last year's draft, I think when we look back, is just it's so important to the development of the farm system. And it's crazy just to think about, like even what you just said in terms of. The Royals last year did not have Brady Singer, Jackson Coar, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, Jonathan Easley, Jonathan Bolin. They weren't even in the system a month ago last year. Now, so I don't know exactly when they all signed. But in theory, a year ago, right around this time, the Royals didn't have those prospects. Imagine if you take all five of those guys, all six of those guys, out of the system. Like, oh my gosh. It, it, and again, it is crazy. I think... After draft night, we were all kind of sitting around going, what the hell just happened? You know, everybody thought the Royals might load up on really young, high-ceiling prep talent. They go college pitching, and everybody goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And now it looks like one of the better moves they've made in a long time, um, just in terms of putting some respectability back in the farm system. And that doesn't even mention, you know, Kyle Isbell, who's the outfielder who was absolutely destroying the Carolina league before a string of injuries got him. But um, yeah, I think we'll look back and that 2018 draft is, is probably going to make or break um, this rebuild. Yeah, definitely. 
Now, before we move on to talking about uh, some other just individual guys and not just the all-stars uh, of the organization, some other guys are having great seasons, we will be right back after a word from our sponsor. All right, so there are a couple more guys that we wanted to hit before we uh, we end this podcast. We've got probably three or four that we definitely want to talk about, but the main guy I want to talk about is Evan Steele because we obviously did not have him on any of our rankings because he was hurt for all of last season. It was a 2017 draft pick, and now he's back and he's doing well uh, in the Carol or in the South Atlantic League there for Lexington as he comes back. Uh, from a, I believe it was Tommy John surgery, right? I don't want to be wrong here. He, he had a shoulder injury. Shoulder injury, okay. I mean, obviously the first thing you think when a pitcher's out for a year is Tommy John, but obviously shoulder injuries happen too. Uh, but Alex, I'll let you kind of go on this because I don't know a ton about him, obviously, because I joined the site last year and he wasn't pitching. Uh, so take me, take a, you know, maybe for fans that aren't as familiar with him, what to expect from a guy like Evan Steele. Yeah, when the Royals drafted Steele in 2017, he was our second round pick and I remember when I wrote up his – in his prospect ranking originally, we had him in the top 30. I don't know where in the top 30. He was definitely top 30. Um, and I wrote in his thing that he has every bit the best pure stuff in the entire system. Now, that was before Singer, Kowar, Lynch entered the system. So in 2017, he had pound for pound the best stuff of anybody that was pitching for the Royals. Um he is a funky delivery lefty. He stands, I mean, so he's, how tall is he? He's 6'5", six 6'5", five. Six five lefty with a funky delivery with a mid-90s fastball and a wicked slider. I mean, when he was at Chipola College, I was watching, I don't remember why, but I was watching him pitching the Juco World Series online or something. Um, I just remember thinking to myself, who in the heck is this guy? Um, and, and, you know, he was incredible, and the Royals get him, and he threw like 150 pitches in a game in the World Series, and then he has these shoulder injuries. And so coming into the offseason, we, we had him down at the bottom of our top 75 list, list because it was, you know, he was there because we knew what he was, but it was kind of hard to rank it after he misses an entire season and a half with a shoulder injury anymore. You're almost better to have Tommy John than to have shoulder problems because – we can pretty well fix you if you have Tommy John for the most part, shoulder injuries are still pretty dicey. And so it is awesome to see him back. He's got a 1.5 ERA and eight starts at Lexington, um, striking out 8.75 per nine, only walking two and a quarter, um, not giving up home runs at any kind of rate. So uh, he looks like he might be back. Now I think what we're going to see with him, he'll probably pitch something like 70, 80 innings, um, if he even gets there, this, you know, it, it may be more like 60. Um, he'll probably spend the entire year at Lexington. I think maybe they move him to Wilmington just for the experience. But um, this year for Evan Steele is just about pitching through August healthy and then coming back next year in Wilmington or double a and really restarting your prospect, your, your minor league journey. Um, but it is good to see him back. And I, he's a guy I don't want Royals fans to forget because I think at a minimum, like his floor, assuming he's any kind of healthy, is Richard Lovelady. He's an elite left-handed relief prospect um, who brings some serious funk. Um, but I think his ceiling, you know, is Danny Duffy. He's a, a front of the rotation if you're not very good, but you know, a decent three or four on a good team who, from the left side, really holds his own in the, in the big leagues. Um, 
I'm probably too excited. I, I probably shouldn't be excited about Evan Steele, but man, I'm I'm a big fan. Uh, I don't want Royals fans to forget about him because he did miss all of 2018, beginning of 2019. But man, when this guy is healthy, his stuff is messed up. Uh, it is almost impossible to hit. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing. You know, again, in 2019, probably not going to do much. I'm really f- looking forward to seeing what he can do in 2020. Yeah, I think 2020 is going to be a big year for him. And then if he's anything up to the billing of a second-round pick, you add him in with, again, Bubich and Heasley and Lynch and Kowar and Singer, it just adds even more depth to an already very rich farm system now uh, of guys that are in their you know early 20s that are developing and have high you know high ceilings but high floors as well. I think it just adds even more depth and, you know, almost an embarrassment of riches to a certain extent of what we're seeing with not only talent, but the production to back it up as well. Yeah. And I think it's important to note, too, just real quick, that Evan Steele was a college kid in 2017, but he's only three days older than Daniel Lynch. So while Daniel Lynch is is hurt and he probably would be at double A by now, um, Evan Steele's only three days older than he is. So he, cause he was a Juco kid. So he didn't go to school for three years. Um, so yeah, he missed 2018 and yes, he's a little old for the league, but it's not like he's, you know, 24 and rehabbing and, and he's a wild card. The kid's still 22. So, I mean, you're, you're looking at, you know, by the age of 24, um, could be sniffing the big leagues. Right. So going back to Daniel Lynch, I know you just mentioned him in your last point there, but Obviously, he's been on the DL since June 1st with a shoulder injury, shoulder discomfort. He was pulled from the start. At the time, the Royals didn't say that it was serious and that they were just, it was more of a precaution thing when they pulled him. But he hasn't pitched in over a month. Is this the Royals taking this really slow? Or do you have any level of concern that this is more serious than they were leading on originally? Yeah, I'm starting to get concerned that way. And I remember uh flanny jeffrey flanagan tweeted something like uh call off the dogs royals fans daniel lynch is fine it's just arm discomfort and i think it was it was either rustin or alec lewis from the athletic that did an interview and uh daniel lynch said something to the effect of you know i've never had arm anything in my entire life so i need to learn to pitch through the discomfort and so they kept saying discomfort 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 um you know i don't know how long arm discomfort how many arm discomfort issues last over a month. Um, I haven't even heard anything that would suggest he's in Arizona ready to throw in like Arizona league games. Um, like Carlos Hernandez had been doing recently. So I'm not overly concerned because it has just been a month, you know, so I'm not like freaking out, but, um, I do think that maybe this could be more serious than the Royals are leading on because, um, you don't even, uh, you know, your name doesn't surface for over a month. That's an injury. That's that's not discomfort. Discomfort, in my experience, does not last for a month. Discomfort might last two, three weeks, and then you're back on the mound. Um, so maybe they found something. Maybe they're trying to keep it down for a while. The Royals are very good about keeping minor league injuries um, hush-hush. So uh, we'll see. He was pitching very well, especially right before he got hurt. Um, in three starts before his injury, he fired 20 innings, allowed no earned runs, and struck out, hold on, math, 18 batters. Um, so, you know, he was really figuring out, he, and he didn't uh, walk, but three. So he was really figuring it out right before the injury, which is why I said earlier, I think he would have been at double A already with, with Coar. But, um, but yeah, so keep an eye on that. 
make note that he hasn't pitched in over a month. Don't panic, but maybe time to – I might have to start asking around because it is interesting. Yeah, it's – like I didn't realize he had been on the, the injured list for that long. I knew that it had been a little while, but the fact that we haven't heard his name come up at all from anybody in the last three weeks really since – Flanny had that tweet that it was just arm discomfort. He's going to be fine. The fact that we haven't heard anything to me is very concerning. Uh, I'm trying not to hit the red panic button too much because I, I have a tendency to, to do that a little too quickly, but I digress. It is a little bit concerning. I Do you think he'll pitch again this year? Yeah, I, think, I do. I, my, I, 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 and I'm not saying that to try and you know have some point that, oh, I, I think he's done, but I think it does have some merit to if he's been on the deal for or the IL for that long and we haven't really heard anything that there's a chance maybe he doesn't that being said I think we may see him toward the end of the year especially toward the playoff push if he's 100% I don't think the Royals would let him throw if he was anything less um, but I think if he's ready during the playoff push there toward the end of August I would expect to see him then but I'm not going to count on it because I know how cautious the Royals will be especially with an arm injury uh, to one of their top prospects. And, th- and that's a really good point you make in that if Wilmington was like 30 games below 500 and the, and they only had two months of the season left, July and August, we may have seen him already. He, you know, he, it's possible he was back and with the all-star game, or I'm sorry, with the playoffs, you know, taking up part of August, I'm sorry, part of September, it's possible they don't want him to throw, you know, X amount of innings. And so they're going to push it back just a little bit here, be extra cautious that way he can pitch through the playoffs um, for Wilmington. So that is a good point. That makes, that would make some sense um, regarding Lynch. Yeah, like I, I don't want to, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to push the panic button and get super concerned that Daniel Lynch is going to pitch the rest of the year, but I think the Royals will be more cautious at least until the end of August would be my best guess here. If he becomes 100% by the playoff push, I'd imagine we see him pitch there and lead his yep. staff into the playoffs just like he did last season. Uh, yeah. We talked a lot about pitching on this one. This is kind of one of the last notes I wanted to hit here before we wrap this thing up. But Khalil Lee, I know we were, I think you and I were pretty concerned about the way he had started the year. At least power really hadn't been there and he really wasn't hitting the ball ton. Now he's been stealing bags like crazy, which is awesome to see. Um, but where do you, you know, where do you fall on Khalil Lee right now? I'm starting to kind of see an upswing a little bit. Obviously, power's starting to get there. He's taking more walks again. I, I think he's really starting to figure things out. I do too. His his on base percentage for the for the year is 376. So I don't have that pulled up. I can um, in the Texas League. Let's see. I've got a minimum of 250 plate appearances, which is probably too many, but whatever. That's the fourth best on base percentage in the Texas League. If we drop that down to just a qualified number, that is sixth best. So regardless, Khalil Lee just turned 21. He's, a, he's younger than Gavin Lux is, and he's got a better on-base percentage than Gavin Lux. If you narrow that down to the last month and change, over Khalil Lee's last 26 games, his on-base percentage is over 445. <laughs> So that's pretty good, I'd say. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's an entire month. In the month of June, in 24 games, he posted a 443 on base for the entire month. And then now in July, it's 455. Um, Khalil is heated up in a big way. 
Um, he got started. It wasn't great in April. It was, it was okay. Um, his, his on base was a 350. So you're not too worried about the hitting yet. Cause it, again, he got hurt last year. Didn't really get a real run at double a. So, um, but in May, his on base drops down to 320. He only hit 230. And I was like, Ugh. like, uh, this isn't what we wanted to see from Khalil Lee. He was, um, respectably, he was awful in the Arizona Fall League last fall, uh, which I think, you know, was the first thing that turned my head was, whoa, like and that was for me, really I, bad. Yeah. I, I had that same level of concern for sure. Yeah, it was really bad. There were some, a little bit of chatter about, you know, again, we're talking about a 20 year old kid. When I was 20 years old, um, I couldn't even get my butt out of bed every morning to make sure I was at uh, workouts for, you know, my own team. At, and I was playing, you know, in college. I couldn't, you know, get up and go all the time. Um, so, like, no, I'm not one to talk about somebody's maturity level, but in a sense of a 20 year old playing with the best prospects in baseball, um, you know, there's there's a little bit of growing up there to do, but I think that's a great experience for Khalili. There's a picture that we use all the time at the site. It's Khalili in the batter's box, and standing right behind him is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, being around that kind of talent is a uh, is, is a good um, you know it's a good experience for for those for those kids. And so um, Khalili just turned 21. He's barely allowed to drink alcohol in this country. Um, and so I don't, I think the, the chatter of being too immature or having growing up to do may, may have been a little, a little premature. Um, but he seems to have grown up a little bit in his approach at the plate. What I mean by that is in Lexington in 2017, um, I heard somebody say that he was, you know, it was swing for the fence. And if we strike out, I think he literally struck out eight times in a game, you uh, whatever strikeouts. I remember that. Game <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, um, yeah, I really like that his approach has gotten better. Um, he's he's hitting for more contact. He's hitting for better average. And the power, like the raw power for Khalil Lee has never been a question. The kid can hit absolute nukes when he gets a hold of it. It's just a matter of, can you put the bat on the ball consistently and access that power? And he's been doing that lately. He had a 500, or his ISO in uh, June was over 200. Um and so, in, yeah, he rocked the month of June and he has not slowed down yet in July. So, um, you know, I'm really excited about this kid. I can't remember where we voted him. I probably shouldn't even be saying this, but uh, I don't want anybody to get mad at me. Um, I can't remember where we voted him as a as a stat, as a writing staff in our rankings. I think I made a power move and bumped him back up after his month of June, um, <laughs> which wouldn't be the only time I've done that in the past, but whatever. So executive um, power, you, you have the right to do that. I may have flexed a little executive authority to get clearly a little higher in our rankings. So, um, yeah, I am really excited about what we've seen. I would not be surprised if we saw clearly in Omaha soon, uh, Brewer Hicklin needs to be in double a like now. Um, meaning that I think clearly will be in Omaha fairly soon to make room. So, uh, yeah, hats off to Khalil Lee and the adjustments he's made. That kid has been absolutely incredible at double A. Um, and, and we're going to see, you know, what the, what a kid can do at Omaha. And, and, and seriously, I don't think I think it's a little ridiculous, but I don't think it's completely ridiculous. If Khalil Lee goes to Omaha, hits really well, comes out in spring training and plays really well, I don't think it would be completely ridiculous if he was our starting left fielder in 2020, 
in, in, in the big leagues in Kansas City. Um, see, I, I wouldn't hate that at all. No, I, I can absolutely see your line of thinking there. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't I think the Royals will do it. I think, I we, think so we, either. I think we give Kansas City too much credit. We They brought up Richard Lovelady, and we're like, oh, look, they're not manipulating service time. And then Richard Lovelady has been buried in Omaha. So, um, you know, I think Khalil Lee will get – he'll get manipulated a little bit. Um, but just like Nicky Lopez was up within a month this year, I, th- I don't think it'll be more than a month or two before we see Khalil Lee in Kansas City next year. Yeah, right. And I unfortunately have not been able to see him too much this year. I was a, I went to one game in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, at right, I think it was the week after I graduated from college, so like the middle of May. And of course, Khalil Lee was not in the starting lineup, but I, so I was kind of bummed I wasn't able to see him. But I did get to see him in the Texas League All Star game. I got there early, watched BP, and. That guy's BP is special to watch. If you haven't had the opportunity, the ball just jumps off his bat. And he's not even not even if when he's taking full swings, you know, last round trying to swing for the fences. He just hits line drives and just barrels the ball up everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fun to watch. And that made me think with the way the ball flies and whatever Super Bowl they're using in the Pacific Coast League this year, that's a dude that's going to take full advantage of a juice baseball. And those power numbers are going to come up real quick whenever he gets home. I, I, yeah. I fully believe he will. He might, you know, match his home run total in probably the first month or so that he's in Omaha. If he makes the proper adjustments and with his plate discipline, you know, continuing to play up the way it is, that guy's going to hit for a ton of power at AAA. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, the raw power has never been a question. It's just a matter of can he get to it. And I, and I agree. If he makes enough contact, we're going to see that power come back. I remember I was down in Springfield recently, and we'll wrap up Khalil Lee here. Um, but I was down in Springfield on last Thursday uh, watching the Naturals play, and <clears throat> it was the day – it was the first game back from the All-Star break, but it was also the day after Khalil Lee's 21st birthday. And, Joel, you're you're over 21. I'm sure you remember the day after your 21st birthday. Oh, boy. Um, Khalil, <laughs> so Khalil Lee is DHing in this game, and I don't know if anybody else thought anything about it, but you know, I saw the line of his DH. I was like, huh. So, so anyway, so he gets up there in his first at bat and hit an absolute missile in the left center field. I mean, it was like, I'm, I'm, I have no idea what the exit velo actually was. I'm positive. It was over a hundred mile an hour, but he just hit a missile in the left center field. that was maybe 10 feet above the shortstop. And this is the first time I've seen Khalil Lee play in person since 2017. I'm thinking, golly, man, like he just, that was just a rope that he hit the opposite way. On accident, like you remember how Eric Hosmer would hit home runs in the left center field. Yeah, that you just thought, how did he hit that ball that far the opposite way? It was like that. I mean, he just flicked his wrist and hit a missile in the left center. Um, so, man, I am I'm really excited. I I felt bad for I, I may have knocked him a little too much early on, and, and I feel bad about that. But my gosh, he's been I mean, so I, good since the beginning yeah. of June. Yeah, I mean, I did too, and then I didn't realize that he hadn't turned 21 until we tweeted it out of the site, and I went, oh, I made yeah. a mistake. <laughs> yeah, that kid, that Scouting kid's special. Scouting is hard. Scouting yeah. is hard. <laughs> That's why there's yeah. very few people who get paid to do it anymore. Yeah, and I mean, now, Grant, and now the reason I brought up BP and not the game itself is because he was hitting, like, I think he was in the eight hole, and he got three at-bats in the, the Texas League also game, and that dude was taking daddy hacks. 
He was trying <laughs> to hit the ball as yes, far as humanly possible. I, I watched that game online. I remember his first day be thinking, "Woo!" <laughs> yeah, I was sitting there. I was looking at the scout next to me, and he just goes, "He wants to hit the ball about 500 feet." Now, yes, he absolutely <laughs> does. But I mean, it, do you blame a guy in an All Star game swinging as hard as he possibly can? I I don't. No, absolutely not. Gabe, I think Cancel was doing the same thing. He was. Uh, yeah. No, I don't blame them at all. I, I remember too. It was like what Cancel's second pitch it was a big old curveball. He took a big old rip at it, and he, you know, he kind of stumbled and looked up and laughed. But yeah, no, that, I don't blame those kids at all for that. Yeah. Before we wrap this thing up, is there anybody else uh, in the organization you want to give a shout out to real quick? Uh, let's see. If I had to give a shout out to somebody, it's going to be Gabe Spire this week. Uh, Gabe Spire is a lefty reliever at Omaha. I remember when the Royals traded for him. You know, the numbers, honestly, the numbers have never really been impressive until he got to uh, 2019. Um, but I remember I was watching him pitch uh, live in Springfield last year. I was like, holy cow. Like, that dude's a big league reliever. Like, the numbers aren't there. He needs to make some adjustments. But Gabe Spire is a big league reliever. Um, and I think if anybody's noticed, every time I tweet about Gabe Spire over at Royal, the Royals Farm Report account, I always tweet, big leaguer Gabe Spire. Like, I put that in front of it. And I'm sure nobody gets it. They probably think, you know, I'm stupid or whatever, but I think everybody at the site gets it. Cause I just remember, I just remember thinking like this dude is like way better than the numbers suggest. And I think Drew called me crazy, but whatever. Um, Gabe Spire is going to be a big league reliever. And I, I'm excited to see him um, really potentially as early as September. Yeah. I, I've seen, I, I think I've seen Spire once this year when I think he was in, in uh, Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas. And yeah, he, that guy is, He's got some good stuff, and I think he's a dude that's definitely a big leaguer. I've seen it as well, so it's definitely an exciting time if you're Gabe Spire. And I think he's a definitely, like you said, big league reliever. Guy I want to talk about, uh, shout out here, a friend of mine, John Heasley, former Oklahoma State Cowboy, go Pokes. Um, but he's broken out just like Chris Bubich did in, uh, in Lexington for me. Like, I knew the guy had talent, watched him pitch a ton at Oklahoma State on Fridays and Saturdays, but – he has been – he's completely exceeded any expectation I had for him, and I think we put him legitimately in the top 30, didn't we, in our midseason rankings? Something like uh, that. I'd have but to I, look. I just I, – uh, I think he was like 33 or 32. But, well, yeah, he, he's close. Yeah, considering that I think we had him around the 70s or not even ranked at all at the beginning of the year, to have him jump up into the top 30 I think is a huge testament to what he's done in Lexington. 89 strikeouts to 19 walks. In 74 and third innings. That's so the crazy part. 19 walks and something like 75 innings. Yeah, I mean, that and dude, that dude is, that, and, and watching him pitch, it, it's literally, it's almost like he says to a hitter, here's my fastball. You can't hit it. Strike one, strike two, breaking ball, strike three, go sit down. Um, it's been surgical watching him pitch. Yeah, and he was able to do that at Oklahoma State as well. There were times where he was just, I, I remember when he, he pitched at OU against OU uh, in Tulsa during the Bedlam series. And it was just that same way. Fastball with a little bit of sink, straight fastball high, curveball, good night. And yep. when he's on like that, son of a gun, that guy is going to be really good. Now, do I know, do I think he will start the whole way through? I think he, I think his stuff will play really, really well out of the bullpen. But right now, he's having success as a starter. Don't fix a damn thing. Let him pitch and let him just do work. And I think eventually, I think he really needs to be in Wilmington toward the end of the year. I don't think him staying in Lexington. I think a guy, a guy with a good changeup and a good curve, good breaking stuff out of college in the Sally, just it, it's overpowered. And I think, I think he's a guy that would tear up the Carolina league too. He's a guy that I think will move 
I don't know if he'll, he'll probably be in double A next year, but I think he's definitely a big leaguer in one way or another. I think the stuff is there and it's really cool to see a guy from my alma mater go out there and just shove the way he has this year. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think we, we hit a bunch of topics here. I think we had some good conversation. I think this was uh this was definitely a success. Alex, you have any final thoughts? Yeah, we need some, we need to make a trade. We need somebody to trade somebody. So we have something new to talk about because, uh, or if, you know, if somebody like Melendez just wanted to catch fire and make me really excited about him again, that'd be cool. But, uh, yeah, I, I need, I need some, I need something, something spicy to happen so we can get on a podcast and, and talk really, really fast for 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we got the trade deadline coming up here in about three weeks now. Wouldn't surprise me to see some moves made. Uh, my final thought, call Bubba up. Just do it, please. For our sanity, just do it. Yeah, I think, I, 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 think, just I don't think he'll him. play. Yeah, I don't think he'll play a single game after the PCL All-Star game in Omaha. I think it'll be the PCL All-Star game. They'll either trade or DFA Billy Hamilton, and they'll bring him up. I think they're, again, we talked about that earlier in the podcast. They, I think they want him to play in that All-Star game. They want him to be around those guys, to feel that environment, um, and then they'll bring him up. Yeah, and I think we saw, the, I saw the same thing with uh, Gavin Lux. Yeah, this is a, you know, a little bit off topic, but watched him play a ton in Tulsa this year for the Drillers, double A for the Dodgers just killed the ball, had a couple at-bats in that uh, Texas League All-Star game, and then Coach Polden, he got called to AAA. Next day, he goes three for five. Like, yeah. And if you're talking about any dude that I think is going to be an impact big leaguer next year, Gavin Lux is going to be that guy. He is a stud if you've never gotten to watch him play yet. Yeah. He is criminally underrated in the national oh, God, yes. prospect God, media. Yes. All right, we'll wrap that up there. Like I said, call Bubba up. Let it happen. Just just let him eat. Just let him run in center field and just make amazing plays. I don't care what he does at the plate that much. I just want to see him run. I don't want to I just want to see him run in Kaufman Stadium. Like I'm serious. Like that'd be awesome. <laughs> I can't disagree with that. All right. Alex, where can everyone follow you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Duvy D U V Y underscore zero one three. And then you can follow the site at Royals Farm. You follow me at JT Penfield, and we will be back with another episode of the podcast soon. Before we head out of here, we'll hit another ad real quick. We're trying to make money here, people. Have a good one.